the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, last night I was just kind of like laying in bed and I couldn't get to sleep. So I started thinking about the wedding and the ceremony and, and about how we're buying a house and, and moving in together and having a kid and then having another kid and then Christmas and Thanksgiving and spring break and going to football games. And then all of a sudden they're graduating, they're getting jobs and they're getting married. And, you know, I'm a grandparent and then I'm retired I'm losing my hair. I'm getting fat. And then the next thing you know, I'm dead. And I'm just like, I can't stop from thinking, what's the point? I mean, what is the point? The point? Yeah, I mean, what am I starting here? Welcome to the main event. Yeah, I'm back in California. Last week I uh, recorded from uh, Montana. Um, I'm back in California again, and uh, man, it's so California-ish here. So uh, I opened up with that clip from uh, the movie Up in the Air because I kind of look at uh, I'm kind of looking at what's going on. I go, yeah, hey, you know, you you elect the president that screws things up, and then you uh, you you let him stay in there for eight years, and then you get another president. And then uh, he comes in and fixes everything. And then you elect some vegetable. You elect a, a turnip or a, or a potato, and you put him in the White House, and he uh, undoes everything that uh, was do, doing there. And then, uh, you know, what is the point? I mean, like, what is really the point? And uh, hopefully hopefully uh, we evolve. We evolve in the way we think, and we all stop listening to what the – what big brother's trying to tell us and we uh, create some, uh, some, some clarity and some common sense and we get this thing right and we get rid of this Biden dude and uh, get on, get on with making America great again. And uh, whether it's with Trump or without Trump, but with the same ideas that Trump had. So anyway, we're going to talk about uh, stuff that's going on this uh, going on this uh this week in uh, some of the, uh, some of my opinions of it, as well as we're going to talk to a, one of my clients who uh, had some opinions that uh, we're going to talk to him after in the, in the second half. But any, anyway, let me, uh, before we go any further, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding. If you're interested in getting involved with any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855 855- 640-2020. One last time, dear night. Toll-free area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone, because it's uh you don't want to let your 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 neighbors at your office know what's going on with your personal stuff. Or maybe you just don't want to get so personal until you get an idea that everything's gonna be okay. Go to edhoffman.net, click on the summit funding logo that'll take you to my lending page where you can fill in the stuff that you want me to know. Tell me what you want to find out from me, and you'll hear back from either myself or one of my talented teammates, and uh, we'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle, whether that's uh, buying a house that you uh, would like to own or refinancing a house that you already own, rearranging your debt, uh, restructuring it, lowering your interest rate, uh, or uh, getting involved in one of those fantastic financing things for seniors, a reverse mortgage, which uh, gives you a little bit more uh, 
a little bit more uh, financial um, flexibility in your retirement years, call me or go to edhoffman.net. Um, if there's anything you want repeated that you heard on the show that you want repeated, you want to share it or you missed part of it, go to edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page, and you can hear this show as well, well as several past shows um, on demand whenever you want to hear it. Uh, you can also get it on uh, podcast on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes, I, uh, also known as Apple Podcast. And you can uh, uh, subscribe for free, have it uh, download to your, uh, your, your uh, computer or your iPhone, your iPod, your iPad, your mini pad, your maxi pad, your puppy pad, or anything else you can get a podcast on, and it'll download uh, for free. We actually uh, record this on Friday mornings, so Friday afternoons it gets uploaded, and so sometime, sometime in early, after, early evening it's coming onto your device on Friday instead of Saturday where you hear it on the radio. All right, so let's talk about what's going on this week. Uh, you know, everyone's still talking about New York thanks to the sleazebag governor, uh, but there's a lot happening on immigration this week, and we need to be paying attention. Uh, the Biden administration continues to dismantle everything Trump did to protect our borders. So let's, uh, let's wake up and look at what's happening. Uh, the good news is that the federal judge in Houston indefinitely banned Biden's 100-day moratorium on deportations. Wow. There, there maybe is some, some uh, justice in the world. The bad news is everything else. So on Wednesday, Biden lifted the Trump administration's COVID-related freeze on green cards. So we can freeze businesses, we can freeze schools, we can freeze churches during the pandemic, but we can't freeze immigration, according to Biden, that is. Trump did the, free, the freeze via proclamation in April last year, numbered proclamation 10014. This week, Biden reversed it with his own proclamation, which said the suspension of entry imposed on Proclamation 10014, suspension of entry of immigrants. So, this is the name of Trump's thing suspension of entry of immigrants who present a risk to the U.S. labor market during the economic recovery following the novel coronavirus outbreak. And he said, so he said, the suspension of that does not advance the interests of the United States. To the contrary, it harms the United States by preventing family members of citizens from joining their families here. It also harms industries in the United States that utilize talent from around the world. So I'll make a comment on each, each bullet point here. Uh, so in other words, this harms the United States. It sounds to me like it harms, harms uh, uh, some corporations that want to use cheap labor, um, i.e. farmers, and they want to choose, choose uh, use cheap labor, I would think they could just raise the price of avocados up a couple cents and uh, use Americans, uh, American uh, citizens, people, people that are here, here legally, or the price of oranges or the price of uh, potatoes or the price of whatever, just a little bit, and we keep those, keep those people out unless they come in legally. Um, and then it, and it, it hurts family members by... Uh, family members of citizens joining their families from here. Well, how does that damage the United States? Sounds to me like it damages them because they didn't come in when their family members that are citizens did. I don't see the I don't see the the hurt to me on that one. You know, hey, get in line, wait for the coronavirus thing to go away, wait your turn, come in legally. Uh, next bullet point uh, to the it, it harms individuals who were selected to receive opportunity to apply for immigration visas through the fiscal year 2020 diversity visa lottery. Well, it seems to me that Trump stopped the diversity visa lottery because uh, basically anyone who's applied to, be, to uh, come into this country, they just do a lottery and decide, hey, this many people are coming in from this many different countries, and they just pick them and say, hey, you're, you're approved. And uh, then that becomes the, uh, uh, the chain. The chain uh, then they get to bring it, come in and bring like 23 people in their family each. So I don't see where that hurts us. Might hurt, might hurt someone like uh, Elon Omar, who uh, came in when her real name was uh, Ilhan Nur Syed Elmi. Could have, could have uh, hurt, hurt her and kept her out of the country from coming in illegally and then uh, proceeding to try and uh, destroy, our, destroy our government from the inside. Um, but I don't see where that hurts, where that, where that hurts America. Um, how does that harm the United States? I just don't understand it. Okay, his next point. Proclamation 10014 has prevented these individuals from entering the United States, resulting in the delay and possible forfeiture 
of their opportunity to receive fiscal year 2020 diversity visas and to realize their dreams in the United States. Well, once again, how does that hurt me? How does it hurt you? It doesn't. It hurts them. So if you were born in Mexico or Honduras or Guatemala or somewhere down there and you wanted to come in, you should have come in legally. And if part of your family did and you didn't go with them when they did, then you do the same thing they did. Come in legally. And if during the COVID, COVID times we said, hey, we're not letting anybody in right now because it's COVID. We don't know who's coming in or what diseases you're bringing. Um, then that doesn't hurt the United States. That hurts them. They should have done something earlier. They should have filled out their forms earlier. But now we're going to uh, stop. Uh, we're going to start letting those people in, and it gets worse. Uh, now, therefore, I, Joseph R. Barden, R. Biden Jr., President of the United States. Hold on, I have to w- rinse my mouth out. Started to, started to vomit a little bit. Um, uh, hereby find that the unrestricted entry into the United States of persons described in the Proclamation 101. 10014 is not detrimental to the interests of the United States. Yeah, well, what do I think about that? Um, I think Biden just continues, continues, continues to 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 destroy America. And uh, you know, I had a I got, had got an opportunity to be introduced to a charity this week called Operation Under Underground Railroad, which is a which is uh the guy who introduced it was a was a homeland security guy. And he got with uh, some former Navy SEALs and some uh, some officials from other countries, and they're they're going out and they're rescuing children who've been who've been uh, are being trafficked as sex slaves. So kids from eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, they're being kidnapped and they just disappear. And this is a gigantic business, and you guys have no idea how big it is until you actually start looking at it. And they go out there and they and they rescue him. They and he showed us some. Uh, he showed us a, a video that talked about a a uh, mission they went on and they freed fifty four kids in the uh, in Colombia. And uh, they worked with the Colombian government and they went in and they rescued fifty four of these kids. And these kids, it just bring tears to your eyes. And while this stuff is happening, people are donating to this to this charity. While this is happening and kid, kids are just disappearing and you don't know where they are and you never hear about it anymore. Um, you never hear about them forever. You don't ever know where they went. Uh, Biden, Biden canceled out. Um, I think it was called Operation Talon, um, where the where we find illegal aliens that have have been uh, charged with felony uh, in um, uh, ch- child sex crimes and deport them. He canceled that. What does that do? How how is getting rid of uh, of uh, sex criminals against kids? How does that how does that hurt America? He canceled it. I put I posted a thing on uh, on social media. I said, "Hey, Democrats and Trump haters, is this really what you wanted?" It just it boggles my mind. So uh, and there's more. As I, str- as I struggles to cope with increasing apprehension rates along the southwestern border, the U.S. Border Patrol issued instructions to begin the immediate release of migrants from overcrowded temporary holding facilities. Right now, this is mostly happening in Rio Grande uh, Valley of Texas, where more than 2,000 asylum seekers were apprehended within the last 48 hours as of two days ago, according to Breitbart News. So we don't have enough room to keep these people, and since they keep coming in, we'll just let them go. Can you say catch and release? Can you say, how does that make America safer? People come in, we catch them, we put them in, we put them in facilities. And since we don't have enough room, we just have to uh, let them go. I liked it better when, uh, when Trump was in there. Sources report that at least 600 family units are in custody and cannot be returned to Mexico because Biden has canceled the Trump administration's asylum cooperation agreements with Central American companies and the Remain in Mexico program. So, in other words, we're doing catch and release. So, in other words, Trump put this agreement with Mexico and the Central American countries, and they said, hey, you, you wait in Mexico if you come up here. And he, he made deals with everybody. He said he stopped the catch and release. He had all this stuff going, but then Biden puts 
takes one little piece of it out. Okay, we can't return them to their country and we can't do this. We can't do that. And he just doesn't have any clue what he's doing. You watch him sign these bills. He does. He has to read the, the notes to figure out what he's doing. It's just it's just pathetic. And I have to ask I have to ask people. And I know I know there's some people out there in my in my community that think I'm a whack job. Hey, you know, I you know, Ed believes that the, the election was fraud and he just can't accept that Trump is gone. And, you know, he's that's Trump is his hero. And and he thinks he thinks this was a bad thing. And we got Biden in there. And, hey, you know, it is what it is. And and I say, you know what? Maybe I am a whack job, but I got my eyes open. And you guys, you guys aren't going to know what hits you until till it comes till an elephant comes up and sits on top of you, and you go, "Oh, I wasn't ready for this." It's amazing. It's kind of like uh, being Christian. Hey, you know, the time to uh, to accept Jesus Christ is uh, not you know thirty seconds before you you before they put the the the, the blanket over your face in the hospital. Uh, the time is prepare now because you don't know when it's going to come. As for the people we don't release. We're holding them in the exact same facilities that Democrats called kids in cages under Trump. So the Washington Post said, Washington Post uh, put out, first migrant facility for children opens under Biden. The first migrant facility for children. Well, it's the same same facility that Trump had. And uh, Dana Lash tweeted it out and put, kids in cages is now a migrant facility for children. Yeah, it's the same one. So here's an exchange between Fox's Peter Ducey and uh, Jen Circleback Saki in Tuesday's press briefing. Why is the Biden administration reopening a temporary facility for migrant children in Texas? Well, um, first, uh, the policy of this administration, as you all know, but just for others, is not to expel unaccompanied children who arrive at the border. Uh, and the process, how it works, is that uh, Customs and Border Control uh, con- uh, continue to transfer unaccompanied children to the HHS Office of Refugee Resettlement. That can take a couple of days. I just want to give this context because people need to understand the process. HHS took steps to open an emergency facility to add capacity where these children can be provided the care they need while they are safely, before they are safely placed with families and sponsors. But it's the same facility that was open for a month in the Trump administration, summer 2019. That is when Joe Biden said... Under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes at the border of kids being kept in cages. And Kamala Harris said, uh, basically, babies in cages is a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government. So how is this any different than that? Because now it's not under Trump, it's under Biden. This is not kids being kept in cages. This is, this is kids. This is a facility that was opened that's going to follow the same standards as other HHS facilities. It is not a replication. Certainly not. The, that's... That is never our intention of replicating the immigration policies of the past administration. But we are in a circumstance where we are not going to expel unaccompanied minors at the border. That would be inhumane. That is not what we are going to do here as an administration. We need to find places that are safe under COVID protocols for kids to be. Well, we're not replicating anything, but we're doing the exact same thing in the exact same place, the exact same facilities that Trump did. And everybody said it was uh, kids in cages. Even though uh, Candace uh, Candace Owens went down there and did a did a film crew and uh, went through there and said these kids they've got soccer fields and they've got uh, jungle gyms and trampolines and computers and uh, and uh, and video games and food and all that and and warm good facilities to sleep in and said she goes hey you know what most people don't have these facilities in their own high schools. These these kids are being so well treated, and and the uh, O'Biden the the O'Biden the the Democrats were 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 criticizing Trump for having kids in cages, even though they used a picture that was taken during the Obama administration. Uh, can you say hypocrites? Can you say? I thought of a word, but I can't say it on the radio. So you know, just all the all the uh, all the all the smoke screen that they're putting out on the, on the, on the, uh, on the, in the, in the mainstream media to just kind of divert your attention away from, from what's, Oh, look at what they're doing. All we know for sure is that, is that Trump had put kids in cages and now Biden has everybody in nice facilities for kids. It's amazing. So let's, let's continue. 
uh, Attorney General confirmation hearings. So this week, confirmation hearings were held for several Biden cabinet nominees, most notably Judge Merrick Garland, uh, Biden's nominee for uh, Attorney General. So for those of you that need a reminder, Biden is appointing Garland Attorney General as a way of getting back at the Republicans for blocking his pathway to Supreme Court seat five years ago. So when Antonin Scalia died, uh, Obama nominated uh, Merrick Garland. Mitch McConnell blocked the nomination and Trump appointed Neil Gorsuch. And at that time said, hey, we're in a we're in an election year and we know that Obama's going out. So we're just not going to vote on it. We've got a few more months till the election. And, you know, if if uh, them, if Hillary wins then she can go ahead with that. And if and if Trump wins, he can pick his own nominee. And uh, everybody, every all the all the crazy Democrats got crazy about that. But it is what it is. So now uh, McConnell says. Now, said, now McConnell says he'll vote to confirm Garland as attorney general, which we know uh, Mitch McConnell saying that he'll, he's going to vote to confirm him um, doesn't mean that anything's good because Mitch McConnell is a uh, conflicted old turtle and uh, he doesn't know which side of his bread is, is buttered. So most Republicans went easy on Garland throughout the hearing, but even that couldn't keep him from showing how inept he was for this job. When asked about multiple matters concerning border security, Garland simply claimed ignorance. Will you look into that uh, practice of using asylum claims by drug cartels to uh, weaken border security? I have not known about this, and I will certainly look into this problem. I think the uh, drug cartels are a major menace uh, to our society. Do you believe that illegal entry at America's border should remain a crime? Well, I haven't thought about uh, that question. Uh, uh, I just haven't thought about that question. Do you think illegal entry into this country is a crime? Hmm, is that a trick question? Do you think illegal uh, withdrawals from a bank that you don't have an account at, also known as uh, bank robbery, do you think that's a crime? Do you think illegal entry, someone comes into your bedroom window at night, uh, illegally, uh, while you're in bed uh, and asleep, uh, do you think that's a crime? Uh, do you think uh, people illegally uh, taking somebody else's life, is that a crime? Uh, I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, you, you know, this guy is going is going to become the Attorney General of the United States. Shouldn't he have some kind of a clue that things that are illegal are crimes? So as a congressman, but not a senator, Jim Jordan of Ohio is unable to participate in the confirmation hearing. But here he is with some thoughts. How about how about this question? Mr. Attorney General nominee, should criminal activity be a crime? I mean, it's just like and, and as the attorney general or if you become the attorney general, will you enforce the laws of the land as the chief law enforcement officer? And his response was, I don't know. I got to figure it out. I mean, it, this makes absolutely no sense. Josh Hawley of Missouri asked Garland why he considers the January 6th Capitol riot to be domestic terror, but not the assaults on the federal courthouse in Portland. His answer, because the court wasn't open at night or something like that. An attack on a, uh, uh, a courthouse while in operation, uh, trying to prevent judges from actually deciding cases that plainly is um, domestic uh, um, uh, uh, extremism, an attack simply on a government property at night or any other kind of uh, circumstances is a clear crime and a serious one and should be punished. I don't know enough about the facts of the example you're talking about, but that's where I, I draw the line. One, one is both are uh, criminal, um, uh, but one is uh, a core attack on our democratic institutions. Amazing, amazing. This guy's going to be the head the head cop for the whole country. Next, there was Rachel Levine, who's a transgender pediatrician and currently Department of Health Health Secretary in Pennsylvania, which uh, says a lot for the people in Pennsylvania. Uh, he, that's she's his she or he is uh, Biden's nominee for Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. Here's her non-answer to a very reasonable question from Rand Paul. Dr. Levine, do you believe that minors are capable of making such a life-changing decision as changing one's sex? 
Well, Senator, thank you for your interest in this question. Um, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field um, with robust research and uh, standards of care that have been developed. And if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health, I will look forward to working with you and your office and coming to your office and discussing the particulars of the standards of care for transgender yeah. medicine. Yeah, in other words, uh, we have to pass it before we can see what's in it. Or uh, we have to confirm the nominee before we can can know what they're about and what they think. And uh, these are these are Biden's picks to be cabinet to have be cabinet members. And it's not about what they know. It's not about it's not about, um, you know, what if they're competent. It's just about what they are. Well, we got a transgender person in the cabinet. We got a, a black person and a white person and a Asian person and a, every other different kind of person. We got some some women and we got some men. And I really, we just need to have a good, good diversity uh, meeting. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for uh, part one of the main event. So stay tuned for five minutes, traffic, weather, commercials, and sports. And I'll be right back with you uh, with part two. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, right here on AM590 The Answer. By now, I'm sure you've all been hearing about the fact that mortgage rates have dropped a whole percentage point in the last 12 months. So what does that mean to you? Well, if you own a home, it means we can possibly, one, reduce your payment, two, pull out cash and pay off other bills, and then further reduce your payment, or three, we can possibly reduce the term of your loan and get your home paid off years earlier than you planned. If you're over 62 considering a reverse mortgage, the lower the interest rates are, the more money you get on a reverse mortgage. And if you haven't even inquired about a reverse, you owe it to yourself to investigate this tremendous financing option. So if you're thinking about any of these, the time to act is now. For more information, call me at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the Summit Funding logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9212, California DRE ID number 1012658, Arizona NMLS license number 092-439, Branch NMLS ID number 1841172, Summit Funding Incorporated, NMLS ID number 319-Arizona license number 092583-7, Equal Housing Opportunity. AM590, the answer. Light it up, let's get this show on the road! And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding. I don't talk a lot about uh, real estate and financing because uh, if you don't, if you if you're not on the market or you don't think you're in the market, uh, then it might be boring to you. But if you aren't sure you're in the market or you wonder if you're in the market or if you just want to check it out, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. 2020 and uh, or go to edhoffman.net, click on the summit funding logo and do that computer thing. In case you hadn't heard, interest rates are a roller coaster right now. So uh, so if you're if you're already in process, be calm. And if you're uh, not in process, just take it with a grain of salt. Call me. I'll help you uh, understand a little bit of it. All right. Hey, my guest this week is an attorney with more than 40 years in practice. Uh, he's actually one of my clients. And we had a very interesting conversation uh, while Don and I were on our way to uh, we were we were driving through the back hills of Nevada on our way to uh, go up through Idaho and into Montana last week. We had a very interesting conversation as the uh, impeachment of uh, Donald Trump was being voted on or it had just finished. Um, he's worked, he's worked on cases involving civil litigation, free speech and constitutional law. So we have a lot to talk about. Neil Fialco, welcome to the main event. Well, thank you. So, so Neil, we, we had this long conversation and I said, man, I wish I was recording that. So let's, let me just give you some, uh, cues here to some of the things that we were talking about. So hopefully you can, you can say it as eloquently as, as uh, you did uh, a week and a half ago. So when it comes to Trump's second impeachment trial, you believe Chief Justice Roberts shirked his responsibility. Um, how so and what was the impact? Yeah, so that's, that's absolutely true. Let's, let's start with the, the uh, U.S. Constitution itself as, as the, the marker here. So if you look at Article 1, Section 3, and I'm just going to read it to you because it's extremely important. The Senate shall have the sole power to try and impeach when sitting for the purpose, they shall do an oath or affirmation. And here's the point. When the president of the United States is tried, the chief justice shall preside. And no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. Now, the operative language here for chief justice is shall. I, I think everybody knows that the word shall is not permissive. It's mandatory. 
So on the face of the Constitution, there is no room for interpretation. It shall. So now let's let's look at, at what the justice did. OK, what did he do? He decided that he was not going to appear. And why? Well, we can infer that it's because, one, he would not preside over a constitutional proceeding that's deemed to be constitutional, and he didn't have the power to do that. And why is that? Because Trump, by the time it got to the Senate, he was a private citizen, and you've got a bill of attainer, and, you know, it's not an impeachment. So what did he do wrong? What Roberts did wrong is he didn't show that excellence that world leaders in trying times or people of importance show in trying times. And this, my friends, is a trying time. What he should have done is he should have had an opinion. It should have been a written opinion. And it should have said exactly what I just said in his own more eloquent words, that there's no constitutional basis to have the proceeding. Now, when that comes from the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, here's my question to to you and the and the and the uh, viewers or your radio crew. Would there have even been an impeachment trial? I, I would submit that there wouldn't be, because as soon as the, the public is told that it's not constitutional and there's something in writing and, you know, it, it, it loses any credibility. That's what an exceptional person does. And, and he didn't do it. And my and, uh, and my and my thought is as well is that um, he should have when he had it when he had made that decision he didn't want it to be um, he didn't want it to be so political that people get mad at him but that's what being a chief justice that's what being a supreme court justice is about you rule based on the word of the law the word of the law isn't gray it's black and white and yeah. and I agree well, well well let's let's discuss that because really I think what the two of us are talking about is exceptionalism. And if you look back in time, World War II, we were really quite fortunate to have exceptional people. I mean, you can say what you want about Roosevelt. I wasn't a fan because of price controls and and communist ties. But as a wartime president, um, he was well-respected. You can make a lot of issues about Churchill as well. As a matter of fact, you know, Churchill, as soon as the war was over, what's the first thing that they did? (laughs) They removed him as prime minister. But during the war, he was stunning. So who do we have today that that comes to the plate and isn't afraid of striking out? We, we just don't have those people anymore. And that, that's one of the problem of the times. And Roberts had that opportunity. And, and he, in my view, he shirked the responsibility of doing what he was sworn in office to do, which was uphold the Constitution. Why? Because he didn't want to put his institution in harm's way. And or his personal body in harm's way or his personal body, perhaps as well. I mean, look, my my favorite uh, justice and, you know, is Clarence Thomas. Uh, What's really interesting is in the Pennsylvania case that went to the Supreme Court, which is a different issue. Out of the nine justices, there were only two that stated, let's 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 have a hearing. And that was Thomas and that was Alito. I, I would say to you I, that I don't know as much about Alito as I do Thomas, because Thomas is one of my favorites. But this guy comes to the plate. You, you know, he, he doesn't say a lot and his opinions aren't particularly eloquent, eloquent and flowery, but they're right on the money as as a conservative who is wants to do the right thing under the Constitution and not worry about the consequences of keeping his pledge and, and doing what's right. So since we uh, jumped over to the exceptionalism. Um, and doing what's right. How does Trump land in your eyes in the exceptional department? Well, let's let's uh, I, I you know, I never make any friends when I talk about Trump because I'm I'm really not a I have no I, I'm, I'm really kind of a moderate. I've always been a moderate. I mean, I would say that I was more of a John F. Kennedy, you know, uh, uh, believer in, in democracy, which today would be, you know, a, a neo-Nazi. It's, it's unbelievable. But um, let's look at Trump. Trump is not presidential. And I hate to say it because what what is what does a president do? A president is supposed to enamor the people and get all the people behind him. And he's not able to do that. He's an imperfect instrument. And, and he makes a lot of he ticks a lot of people off. But let's put that to the side and let's look at what he's done as a president. As a president, it's hard to argue that he's been transformative. It's hard to argue 
that he's done things that nobody thought was possible. And unbelievably, I mean, if you look at it coming out of the box, they started impeachment before he became the president. So now you've got two hands tied behind your back. His cabinet was fighting with him. Sessions didn't stand up for him. Uh, every single person in the Justice Department was out to get him. Uh, and, and yet, look what, he, look what he accomplished. I mean, and the list is really long. I, it, it just everything that he did um, that, was, that they said that couldn't be done really was amazing. How about peace in the Middle East? How about, you know, stopping the terrorism of Iran? How about putting the caliphate in its place in just a matter of days? How about getting the economy going? How about taking the position that the United States doesn't have to have a sustained decline until, you know, uh, China says goodbye or the rest of the world says, let the dollar crash? He saw that, you know, this country, this country was built on exceptionalism, you know, and, and, and that's all he wanted. A country without borders, how does it, how is it, a, how can you be a country? And so he did all the things that, that you know, as, as a human being and a critical thinker, those are the kind of policies that I would want. Now, it's too bad, bad that he didn't have the veneer of a world leader. And, but if he did, my guess is he still would have a lot of pushback from the left, no doubt. Um, because, look, Reagan did. And Reagan, Reagan pretty much was a very friendly kind of person. So you say that he didn't have the he couldn't get the people behind him when, in fact, there is a whole bunch of people behind him. Um, I take it that you're that you're referring to the media and the people that have have the biggest microphones. They couldn't they couldn't get he couldn't get them behind them. And so they presented a uh, a reality to to the citizens that he wasn't as good as he really was. Yeah. Well, I would, I would say two things. I would say that they have this apple cart and they stacked up all these apples and they've traveled thousands of miles and they sell their apples. And all of a sudden along comes Trump who they think is a clown and he kicks the apple cart and all the apples fall over. And, you know, they, they think it's a joke. And then all of a sudden they start getting scared and they going, you know, our little world here, our little world that we've created, and, and I'm not talking about Republicans, I'm not talking about Democrats, I'm talking about the elitism, I'm talking about, you know, uh, what, what you want to call the shadow government, what you want to call the establishment at all levels. The swamp. Maybe the swamp, yeah, but because they became challenged. Now, all of a sudden, they're saying to themselves, you know, uh, I, I like being in power. I like walking into the best restaurant in Washington and getting a table and getting comp, you know, Harlan, you know, wine. I, you know, I love this stuff. I love flying on planes. This, this guy, Trump, is going to take it away from us. Now, you talk about the journalists. That's, that's yet another issue where, where, you know, lawyers, attorneys, historians, uh, journalists, they've all lost the ability to do their job and be critical thinkers. They've all been so on the gravy train in politics ruling the day that, that they refuse to do their jobs because the politics rule. But let's face it, the left, uh, has, the left has most of the media, and they feel very comfortable with the establishment. And they support the establishment, and it creates a two-tier system. We're going to report everything that Trump does that's bad, and we're not going to report anything that's good. And no matter what the left does, you know, we're going to report it as fine. So you've been practicing law for, for uh, four decades and you, you'd be say it's that law has become too political. And I think, I think in turn, you're, you're also saying that, uh, that politics has been become too, is being manipulated by because uh, Congress, most everyone's an attorney uh, expand on that. Yeah, so let let me let me take you back to my training. I, first of all, you know, I think people become attorneys because they they get pushed in that direction by uh, who they are as a person, or perhaps you know their what they want to accomplish in life. I was always that inquirer. I was always that person who, if there was a hundred people that said yes, I'd say, well, how come it's not a maybe? How come we're following this? I'm, I'm really a very a nonconformist. And that kind of took me down the road to being an attorney. So, I mean, what, what does an attorney do? An attorney is, is very similar to a detective 
where they see what the issue is, they marshal in all the evidence, they get all the evidence in front of them, and then they look at it from a factual perspective and they try to decide the best way to handle the case, whether they're representing the plaintiff, the defendant, the government, whatever the case it may be. But the point is here, Ed, is that analytically, there's some honesty in the process. All the facts get collected. All the facts get looked at. Maybe, you know, there's shenanigans and, you know, they don't give everything to the other side, but they know what the facts are and they want to know what the facts are. Okay. So using that as the backdrop, let's talk about Congress. If we look at the 115th Congress, which would have been December 28th, there were 168 representatives that were either attorneys or had some legal background. So they knew how to process and be analytical. And as to senators, uh, there were 50. So take a look at almost any issue today of, of how they look at things. Uh, you want to take a look at the impeachment charges? Uh, let's, let's, let's stay with the impeachment charges. Let's start with the second impeachment. Every single one of those people that had legal background knows in their heart that Trump cannot be impeached because he's a private citizen. And yet, and they're attorneys, and they are supposed to be people that we respect and look up to, and yet all these millions of people that are watching the, the charade of trying someone who's now a private citizen by essentially attorneys that know better, doesn't that kind of send a message, you know, why follow the law? The bottom line is, we have a flawed system. We have a flawed system with our politicians. I mean, think, think this through. There are at least 75 million people that voted for Trump and they're non persona gratis. I mean, you know, the other half would like to open the door and just say, uh, you know, go find your nirvana elsewhere. And, and yet all the policies for these 74 million people and for the other 74 as well are being, that voted are being governed by 535 people. I, I mean, and it's, it's stunning to me that we, we are allowing the breakdown of analytical thinking and the way that we do things and the way we come to process, and it affects everything. It, yeah, it, I, it, I'm wondering, uh, people that can do math, we have 133 million registered voters in this country, and if Trump got, got 74 million of them, how did, how did Biden have more votes than him? Yeah, these are, the, the, look, here's, here's, here's the question that I have for you. I'm not in a position to say who honestly won the election, okay? But there's a lot of smoke and there's a lot of, there's a lot of you know, a lot of fires out there. And Trump's teams made some good points. And the question becomes, here's what really had to be done. All the, the evidence had to be marshaled in. It all had to be looked at. There had to be a congressional hearing to look at what happened, okay? And you can't, the media just keeps saying every single time the, the courts said no to Trump. But those really decisions were never made on the merits of the information it was made on standing. And standing never goes to the merits. And you, it's going to be very hard for a court, which looks at something retrospectively, to make a decision factually. That's done at a trial level. That They, they never had that opportunity. I mean... I would like to know that box of documents in Georgia that after the polls, everybody thought was closed and everybody went home. They went through the machine and they've got that person on tape. Did anybody ever do her interview? Did anybody ever ask her what went on? Did anybody ever analyze, you know, the timing? Why didn't the Georgia attorney general look at that? Exactly. I think I think there's I think there's all kinds of questions that didn't get answered. What do you think the media's role is in all this? They're complicit. There's too much corruption in our system. Well, absolutely. I agree with that. Now, you had some ideas on how Trump could have uh, handled the media differently. I did. So uh, let's first talk about the, the synergy of the media and Trump. Trump loves to be on TV and, and, and the media gave him that. The media, on the other hand, loves to uh, stick, you know, a knife and kill Trump by a thousand cuts. And so they're always looking to, you know, I got you. 
And that was the quid quo pro for both sides. But it really didn't do anything for the nation. And it really kind of, you know, turned it into a free for all. I would say this, say what you want about Trump. But as far as being transparent, uh, he's more transparent than anybody I've, we've ever had, even more than Reagan, who, you know, Reagan with, uh, with the Grenada War, he blacked stuff out and people were embedded. So here's what I would say. You know, when you looked at the way that Acosta and people like Acosta treated the president, uh, stuff like that should never happen. Uh, There is no reason why a president who leads us all should be treated like a piece of trash on his own in his own home on his own turf. And I would have said this. I would have said, look, you know, um, right now, the media is controlled by a small amount, a handful of, of, of companies. And there's plenty of independents out there that are writing blogs and doing all sorts of things, and they don't have a seat at the table. They don't get a chance to sit in this little room and and have press conferences. And everybody travels the same little group, and you know nobody's getting the news. So we're gonna we're gonna have a raffle. Every you know we're there's we're, ABC will get a seat. They'll always have one. It'll kind of be like the United Nations Security Council. The big ones are always there. There'll be like ten or fifteen, but everything else is raffled. And, you know, they'll know a couple of weeks in advance who can come. And I'm and my inclination is to take questions from organizations that haven't been before me before. That's what I would have done. And uh, and, and of course, in in uh, oftentimes in how Biden's handling it, he's you no know, puts his press secretary out there. Trump wanted to be face to face and not have to be open to interpretation or anybody saying that um, he was he was uh, behind behind the behind the curtain and not showing, showing everything. So I appreciated that me personally, because, you know, there's a, there's a scene in the movie, other people's money. The guy goes, can we speak frankly? No, lie to me. Tell me how thrilled you are to know me. I always speak frankly. I hate people who say, can we speak frankly? That means it bullshit me the rest of the time. So I appreciate that. So let me ask you one more question. Do you think Joe Biden's exceptional? No. In a, in a word, let me let me tell you what Joe Biden is. He had this great opportunity when he gave. I, I mean, I actually liked his inauguration address. I kind of liked it because it, it seemed like he was reaching out to everybody. And I, and I was grasping at straws. Please, please at least reach out to everybody. And then what does he do? He ends up, you know, calling moderate Republicans into his, you know, on his turf, come on over to 1600 Pennsylvania. I want to talk to you about some bills and essentially says to him, I'm voting on this anyways. It doesn't really matter what you'll do. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and join it and, you know, you'll get some political clout out of it. So he never really, really wanted to unite the, the country. I, let me tell you something else that what I would have done as well. Um, and this, this will be a shocker to you. I would have pardoned Trump, his family, and everybody that worked for him. I would have said, if I was Biden, I would have done that. And I mean, the, the, right, the left would have gone crazy and the right would scratch their head. But, you know, when Ford did that for, you know, um, Nixon. Nixon, that was probably because that was the deal that was made. Yes, listen, I'll make you vice president if you, if you pardon me. Uh, but, you know, who's to say the bottom line is it stopped the country from going down an impeachment hole um, because I doubt very much whether uh, Nixon would have left if he didn't get pardoned. So what I'm saying is now the attention should be let's move forward. Let's get Trump out of the way. And I'll tell you, if they had done that, it probably might have hurt uh, Trump's uh, 2024 campaign in, in unusual ways. All I'm saying is that an exceptional person would try at this time to unite a very divided country. And instead, what we see is more of, you know, let's let's be more tribal. And every chance he has an opportunity, he creates a division that makes more of a left and more of a right divide and brings back the tribalism, which no successful country can ever succeed with. We, we, we can't go on this course being divided, especially with the world moving uh, so quickly with technology and, and the threat that China has become, especially when you uh, everything he's every every movement he makes to wipe out 
stuff that good things, stuff that tr- uh, Trump has done that affected the American people. Every every time he signs a new executive order, it hurts somebody to nobody's benefit. He had 50 executive orders uh, that came out of the box so quickly. It means that Trump's uh, Justice Department was actually working on those before Trump was even out of office. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And yet Trump's executive orders got fast walked. I mean, got slow walked. So that's a, that's a real problem. I, I mean, you know, that's why at the end of the day, nothing's going to change until the establishment is gone. And for the American people who who vote for a president, they want a president to put America first. Right. And we better have fair elections so that we can make a change when we want to. Exactly. So the uh, um, I think everything Biden's doing is is well, I'm the, the America first uh, position is over. America's back. I don't know how those two uh, how those two statements uh, belong in the same sentence. They're the antithesis. Exactly. Hey, uh, Neil, this it was great ta- ha- ta- having you on. I'll have you on again so we can uh, we can fine tune this. And uh, uh, I love I love your uh, your your way of thinking here. And uh, and I, sometimes I bring on people that don't always agree with everything that that I say, but have a different perspective and. Uh, but I think it all, I think in the bottom line is we all want America to be great. We all want the best for our country. And whether you like Trump or you didn't, he was, he was taking us down the road we wanted to be on. And, uh, what we have now just is not, not the fact. Yeah. I love this country and the flag really means something to me. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, Neil Fialco, thanks for being our guest on the main event. And, uh, we will, we will have you on again. Thanks so much. Okay, that was Neil Fialco, one of my clients. Uh, and that's and we're out of time for the this episode of the main event. Uh, I'll remind you if you're if you're looking at if you're looking at buying a house or refinancing a house or doing a reverse mortgage, interest rates are going crazy as far as going up, down, up, down, up, down. Um, I think uh, the the real the the financial markets just figured out that Biden is president. And because there's rarely that you see the stock market go down and the bond market get, get worse at the same time. But we see it happening right now. And uh, so put your seatbelt on. And if you've uh, been thinking about, thinking about, thinking about calling me to figure out if it's time, do it now. Hey, uh, I'm all out of time for this episode. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event. And I'll be back again with you next week. The opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Summit Funding Incorporated. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 0925 Hi everyone, this is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding and host of the main event Heard Weekends right here on AM590 The Answer. For those of you that are 62 or older and haven't taken the time to inquire into a reverse mortgage, here are some great reasons to consider one. One, you don't have to make monthly mortgage payments unless you want to. Two, a reverse mortgage can supplement your retirement income and allow your retirement savings to last longer, which will save you money on taxes or possibly allow you to delay taking Social Security benefits, which will increase your benefit when you do. Three, when you finally pass on, your kids inherit the home and the equity in it, along with the money that is accumulated in your bank account from not having to make monthly mortgage payments. Four, no prepayment penalty if you decide to sell the home or refinance out of it. And the biggest reason, it's your equity. Use it when you want it. Interest rates are low, which means more money available, so if you've inquired before and it didn't work, it may work today. Calling to find out more details is free, so call me at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020, or go to edhoffman.net and click on the Summit Funding logo. AM 590, the answer.